calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, you ready? Ev, oh my goodness, I am so excited to do this. Hey everyone, welcome to Reppin', I'm Evelyn, your host. Reppin' is a podcast about representation of all kinds. Here, you're going to meet some kick-ass people who share their insights, experiences, and truths with you. Strength and courage comes in a lot of different forms, and my next guest embodies that strength through light, humor, and hope. She's a writer, public speaker, and women's health advocate. But her path of becoming that advocate started when she and her husband, Chris, struggled with infertility when they were in their late 20s. After six years of trying to conceive and going through an assault of medical procedures that included six IUIs, which is intrauterine insemination, six IVFs, in vitro fertilization, they invested their entire life savings and endured devastating lows, and still, they were unable to conceive. Throughout this extremely private and painful time, she and Chris also decided to openly share their journey with others in hopes to inform and give voice to a subject that nobody was talking about. They started a blog and called it Our Misconception. And since then, it's become one of the most popular infertility blogs and has garnered national media attention. They've been profiled in Glamour Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and most notably, on MTV's award-winning documentary series, True Life, where yours truly called to have them on the show. Today, you're gonna hear how they transformed their pain into power and light and find out if they were able to start a family. Please say hello to Candace Wall. Hey, Candace. It's so good to see you. Yes, yes. Uh, I know. I, I, I miss you. You and I share a little bit of a history together. We've known each other for how long now? Ooh, I think it was 2013 is when the show aired. So 2012. So it's been a minute. And uh, obviously, this was during my old MTV days. Yeah. Give us a little introduction. My name is Candace Wall, and I originally started a blog called Our Misconception. And that's kind of where my name got out is because we were at the early stages of back in the day talking about the things that not too many people talk about. And I am a women's health advocate. 
When did you first discover that you would be struggling with infertility? So Chris and I have been married for 16 years now. It, it doesn't feel like it's been 16 years because they, they go by fast. Just like with anybody, you know, you get married, you say, okay, white picket fence, check. All right, got a cute fuzzy dog, check. All right, let's have a baby. And that didn't happen. After quite some time of, of trying and, and tequila, <laughs> we decided to seek help. And at that time, not a lot of people were talking about the struggle to conceive and how difficult it is. More or less, they would never even open up the stigma of that dangerous word, infertility. You know, you dare not identify yourself with that. What's really interesting is the fact that infertility, that diagnosis impacts both women and men equally. For my husband and I, we both contributed equally to our infertility. We started seeking out treatment and it would fail. I would go into the grocery store to pick up a box of tampons. Not too many people will realize how awful this is until you've gone through infertility. But I would walk in that aisle and grab that damn box of tampons and cry as I left the aisle because my, my cycle just failed again. And I just threw $18,000 down the drain. And my IVF cycle that I just started, and, and it, it was all for nothing. I, I literally bought a car and couldn't drive it off the lot. That kind of reminder of how your body is failing you is that walk of shame into the aisle to buy those tampons. You really wouldn't think that, you know, buying tampons would be such a devastating experience until you just broke it down that way. So, what did you do with all of that emotion? I'm thinking, we can't just be alone in this. Other couples have to feel this way. I said, Chris, you know, I have these thoughts. I have these feelings. I need to, I need to, I need to let them have air. They need to come to life. So I'm going to start a blog. What do you think? And this is when blogs are really cool. Okay. <laughs> you know, what was really cool about your blog was you were really one of the early ones to dive deep and were incredibly open about a very private experience and in a younger age group. So talk more about your blog and what you were doing on it and what made it unique. We started our blog, Our Misconception, in 2012. And, and, and look, this was at a time when no one was really talking about it. I mean, there were people who were like, yeah, I'm having trouble you know, trying to conceive. But there just wasn't a lot of people who were, were talking so candidly about it. And not only that, but we were talking about where we went wrong and, and, and how we could move forward and, and how we fixed it. And, 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 and we just kind of documented all of those steps. And we also did it from both his and her perspective. Right. And so Chris, you know, I, I, I love him. He is so unapologetically just open. He's like, my dangly bits are broken. <laughs> her lady bits aren't functioning. Here we are people. <laughs> Explain the title. Why do you call it our misconception? Our blog was called Our Misconception for a reason, and it's because there was a lot of misconceptions and we made a lot of mistakes um, through this and we learned from them each time. And the first mistake that we made was we stayed with an OBGYN too long and I wasted a lot of time and money. And, and so we had started out with just regular fertility medication. From there, we did what's called an IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. Just think of a turkey baster method. Basically, they, they take his boys, 
and, and give it a taxi cab to where it needs to go. That did not work. So how many IUIs did you actually end up doing? We did six rounds of, of IUIs and each one failed. When we finally advocated to go to a fertility clinic, when we sat there and had our initial testing, our fertility doctor at the time looked at me and he said, you guys have a 3% chance to conceive naturally and, and that's about it. So we need to move forward with IVF. So that's what we did. And, and I think once you make that jump from going from simple treatments to IVF is, is like hurtling over a canyon because no one really prepares you for that. You thought, okay, well, maybe we just need a little bit of help. No, we're in the big leagues now, girlfriend. You, right. you, you are now shooting up a lot of medications and, right. and now you're forking out a lot of money. Keep in mind, because this was 2012, infertility wasn't a subject that people in their 40s and 50s were even talking about. And that was the group that you know, everyone thought you know, infertility affected. You at that point were in your late 20s and early 30s. Really put yourself out there and, you know, broke some barriers. Talk a little bit more about your blog and also sort of the lighter touch that you and Chris give to such a difficult subject. When you started the blog and when we met, you weren't seated comfortably really as an activist yet. No, you know, because we we were still we were still on fire at the point. So, and you know, I think with anything, when when you become an activist or whatever, you you then get the buckets to help put other people out that are on fire. So at that time, we were the ones that were on fire. It, it hurt so deeply, but because of that hurt, and because of how raw it is, and because of how Chris and I just handle life, we kind of flipped it upside down, and and that's. That's how we handled everything. And, and by flipping it upside down is, you know what? There was a lot of really funny shit that happened. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by flip it upside down. And, you know, not everybody can see, you know, the humor through some of the harder times. At the end of the day, when you are at the pits of despair, you, you can't go anywhere but up, right? And and I think that that is how we deal with things is we just figure out how to make light of it. Because if you don't, life is going to suck. And the situation that you're in is going to suck even worse. Our goal was, okay, how do we make this less suck? Some of these things that are happening to us, although not funny at the time, they're freaking hilarious now. Share one of those moments with us. We've had our fair share of, of IVF cycles. I mean, I don't want to give you the baseball stats, but it's a lot. Through that time, how an IVF cycle goes, and IVF for those who are not, you know, acronymy, um, it's in vitro fertilization. That's where all things happen in a, in a, in a nice little uh, Petri dish and a very sexy lab. We would go to a retrieval is what it's called. And, and months before that, I would take just shot after shot. And we would prepare my body to do a retrieval. And what a retrieval does is it helps, you know, create tons of eggs. And then Chris has to... Now, while I am an under general anesthetic and get ready to go under a surgical procedure, he has to go romance a plastic cup in the other room. And the moment that I get out of this this uh, first stimulation, I'm like half under anesthesia. I'm like waking up. And he was like, Candace, he was like, they told me not to take my shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why would you take your shoes off 
to, to romance the plastic cup. He was like, I don't know, but I have questions. Yeah, I do too, but I don't think I want to ask them. I think with your blog, what you and Chris managed to do successfully was to diffuse this very heavy subject. And I know that, you know, you and Chris always did a lot of creative and uh, playful things to thank the staff and the people that were around you trying to help you guys. You guys always made such an effort to keep things light. Our goal was to throw off our RE, which is a reproductive endocrinologist, our doctor, and also to to really thank the, the staff there. Every time we would go through what's called a transfer, that's where we would transfer that embryo and hope and pray that, that it would work and I would finally become pregnant. Every time we would do it, we would bring them something that is just ridiculous. Like bring the clinic staff sperm and egg shaped cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and they ate them too. <laughs> and let me just tell you something. I was like, I think I was more impressed by the fact that I was able to find a sperm shaped cookie cutter than the fact that we actually made <laughs> yeah, there's a market for everything. You guys were going through a tough time. You were trying to have a baby. You had tons of medical visits. And yeah, you would bring the staff like fun little gifts and show up wearing like wacky t-shirts and superhero socks. Why was that important for you to do? You know, it, it's important to try to bring some fun into things that are really heavy. You know, we, we could have sat there and, and walked into this clinic knowing in the back of our minds that this probably isn't going to work, that we were literally spending our life savings on a procedure that only has a, a minimal chance to work at best for us. But what are we going to do? So we have to make the best of the situation. We have to add positivity in something that could be very negative in your life. Because if you don't have that positivity, you really don't have hope. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Since the launch of your blog, you have been on television, you've mm -hmm. been profiled in many different media outlets, magazines. So let's fast forward to like how, how you started shifting from sharing a painful private struggle to sitting comfortably in the role of activist or advocate. So I, at the time, um, Evelyn, you were casting for uh, MTV's True Life. I'm desperate to have a baby. And what's interesting is I always tell people, I, I don't know how I felt about the title at the beginning, but it was not inaccurate at all. Because at the time, we were very desperate to have a baby. I think you'd look through some of the images on our blog, and some of them had us rocking some mean Christmas sweaters. Those turtlenecks we were wearing were young. They were attention-grabbing for sure. <laughs> 
So yeah, I was casting and producing a documentary with MTV at the time. It was a show about couples struggling with infertility. And because it was with MTV, audiences obviously skewed younger. I was tasked to find a couple in this younger age group, which was really unheard of at that point, who were actively struggling with infertility, were willing to open up their lives and allow us to come in and film it. That's what brought me to your blog. Yeah, yeah. And there's this photo of you guys wearing, let's say, impressive looking holiday sweaters. And this was before when ugly Christmas sweaters were in. Oh, yeah. You guys were way ahead of your time. Yeah, we were popping tags at the thrift stores for those. Yeah. For those gyms. (laughs) The significance of those sweaters signaled to me that you and Chris would have a different approach about going through this sort of unexplored and painful experience of infertility. So I reached out to you. Was that your first national media outlet that you got involved with? At the time, yes. But I do want to back up for just a second. Because yeah. and, 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 you touched on something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that people who struggle with infertility, it, it, there's this misconception that it is because either the woman waited too late in life Maybe they have low ovarian reserve. Maybe, you know, she wanted to put her career forward or whatever the case, but no. I mean, there are women who are born without a uterus. There are women who have obligatory diseases like PCOS or endometriosis that will later on lead to infertility. And, And the bigger problem is, you know, especially then and a lot now is there's not a lot of education on women's reproductive health or men's reproductive health and how that can impact their infertility. We need to kind of change that conversation on reproductive health and who can be impacted. Right. Because it's not just 35 plus year old woman. It's way below that age. So you did the show, right? You Mm -hmm. did the show. We followed you around for way too long. (laughs) So take me through your transition from being a blogger to being an activist. Like when did you really fully step into that role? You know, and I, I hate to term the word journey because it's so outplayed. I think there's a transition of pain that happens and you, you have to kind of go through a grieving process with anything. I got to a point where I said, okay, I have to change the, the script for the next me because I don't want the next me to go through what I had to go through. Both Chris and I felt so strongly about this. So we really got involved with uh, volunteering and and advocacy work and leading support groups. There's something to be said about being knee to knee and wine glass to wine glass with somebody who is going through a hard time that you can like wholeheartedly relate to and just say, hey, you know, me too. I, I felt like that. That filled my cup. I don't have control over my own body. I don't have control over, you know, how this is impacting my life, but I do have control over how I can help, how it impacts other people's lives. And so we got involved with an organization called Resolve. It's the National Fertility Association. And through there is where I started running support groups and then got involved in legislative advocacy work. That right there is really what changed the game when it came to how. I would um, help other people or try to, you know, change the conversation, if you will. 
Well, I think you started to change the conversation when you started the blog, whether you knew it or not. Let me ask you this. Can you share one moment with me? And I know there were many, but share one moment with me where it was a very difficult time, but it became a turning point for you. You know, there's there's just the slightest amount of background to this. We just had um, our sixth IVF at the time. I The background of that last um, sixth and final IVF was I had just received the news from my OBGYN oncologist that I was developing the beginning stages of uterine cancer. While I am incredibly thankful um, for my infertility because they wouldn't, I wouldn't have found that. I mean, that's an interesting statement that infertility helped you. But what happened next? At that time, we were waiting to hear the results from my test. And it was at the point where we could finally take an at-home pregnancy test before I went into the fertility clinic to test. And I basically was begging and pleading and willing all fate, make this happen because I'm getting ready to lose my uterus. And I would not have any fighting chance after that to experience a pregnancy. So this is our all chips in moment. All chips in, all finances in, this was it. I remember taking that test. And Chris and I looking down and seeing that single line and every bit of hope that I had in me that was that was on a very thin string snapped. And we both literally collapsed on the floor and cried and cried and cried because that was it. There's nothing more finite than that right there. Yeah, I remember that moment we were with you filming. That was a devastating moment. That was a really hard moment because, you know, our our bank account was in a fetal position. We were in a fetal position crying and we didn't know what to do. That door closed and it locked and it burned down to the fucking ground. But what's very interesting is resolute hope. Because when you are incredibly determined for something, you are able to redefine what hope is for you. And so we said, okay, that door is gone. What are our other doors? And we started opening and kicking them down and saying, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? That pivotal piece of me being on the floor and Chris and I having our cry session and getting that all out, that right there helped us to change our perspective in what hope would look like for us. Because what we thought completely dissipated, it was always there. It just was in a different form. That's awesome. Can you give me a little bit more about what that means? I'm going to get real here for just a second. I, I, I hear the term toxic positivity a lot these days. And, and I understand that it exists. And everyone grapples with grief in their lives differently. But for us, just because something doesn't work doesn't mean I have to lose hope. It means I have to redefine what hope means to me. And I think hope is always going to be redefining. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, that it's not going to work or there's not going to be some form of negative outcome in your life because it's always going to happen. It's hope that it is going to be better regardless of the outcome. That's so awesome. I love that. Now we, meaning the MTV crew, were with you that day filming and captured that you know, intensely raw moment. You had everything on this last roll of the dice. Your bank account was pretty much done. You were physically already brutalized. Then you found out 
you weren't pregnant? What did you draw on to get yourself metaphorically and also physically off the floor? I remember looking up off of the floor at some point and looking at these two amazing cameramen, like these grown men wiping tears away. And at that moment, I feel like I achieved something because we would tell our parents what we were going through and that it hurt. And they would say, well, why don't you just, we would tell our friends, Hey, this is what we're going through. Why don't you just, we would tell, you know, a pastor or all these, why don't you just, that is the worst thing you could ever tell somebody is why don't you just, what I wanted to know, what I wanted them is to see, this is what we were going through. I don't need a just, I need support. I need a, Hey, how can I support you? How can I just be with you in this time and not give this advice that it is hurtful and that just marginalizes the pain at that moment. When I looked up and saw these two grown men crying with us, I said, people will now see what we are going through. People will now see the sharp pain of what each failed cycle looks like. Rinse, lather, repeat. Give people who, who would say to you as devil's advocate, I'm trying to help you when I say, why don't you just, why is that the wrong thing to say? When they could say, well, I'm well-intentioned. I'm trying to be supportive. Why is that the wrong thing to say to somebody? When people just use that term, it minimizes And it devalues the pain that you were going through at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think people need to do more listening than talking when someone is going through a crisis in their life and not offer that antidotal advice because they don't understand what it's like to go through something that is tragic like that. Or maybe they do, but when you marginalize how you feel, or how someone else feels, it's incredibly hurtful. You know, we would get all kinds of unsolicited advice. Chris even tells me about the time when my father was giving him sex advice. (laughs) That was not, that was, everybody wants to hear sex advice from your father-in-law, don't you? That just made me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You get out of your comfort zone when you go into this. But yeah, I mean, no one needs to hear that. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That is, uh, that is not a conversation that I'd want to be a part of. Well, yeah. And, but leading into that, that's the same thing as, as people also ask really blunt questions that are entirely inappropriate. Why don't you have kids? Right. Why isn't your procedure working? Why don't you just adopt? Here's that just again. You know, do I really want to say, well, the last time we did a sperm analysis on your son's sperm, <laughs> it was, it was low. <laughs> These are not dinner table conversations. But if you really do want to shut that door quickly, you do bring it up and it's done and people run really quickly. So that that is (laughs) like, all right, I'm out. (laughs) It's definitely a closer. So I want to go back. You guys were devastated on the floor. What is it that you drew upon within yourself that you picked yourself off the floor and started to look at other avenues? What was that choice? Stay there on that cold floor or get up? And, and we got up, but you know, it's having somebody there to help you up 
when you're lagging behind, I think, or when getting up just seems a little bit harder. And what's really interesting about Chris and I is we have been through different pitfalls in, in, in really different um, life crises at, at, at different times in our lives. And there's always been one person that's just had that little bit of extra energy to help bring them back up. So that's helped. But, you know, when you don't have a choice and the only option is to get up, that's what you do. Nothing is going to change unless I get back on my feet and start going and start saying next. The unfortunate thing is not everybody does or not everybody can or not everybody can figure out a way to do what you did. So for people who are struggling, regardless of what that issue is, be it IVF or whatever it is that they're trying to get through, what would your advice be that you've learned through your lessons that you'd want to pay forward? Find the sunshine in the shit, really. <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really. So for example, you know, I, we are all right now going through a pandemic. There's a lot of steamy piles of shit in everybody's home. Okay? Lots of flies too. Well, oh, lots of flies. There's flies. So many. <laughs> Even though we're dealing with our own steamy pile, the joy that I can find out of that is we've been able to completely change, you know, how we live our life and find simplicity in the still and and then also understand that the chaos is is not is not something everybody has. Like we have a job, we have these things. And when you don't, what is something else that you do have? What is that joy that you can find? What is that sunshine in your shit? For anyone who is listening right now who feels that they are in the absolute rock bottom floor piece, you know, laying on the cold floor of their life, there's always something to stand up for. Always. And you just have to find it. So Candace, you and Chris have fought so incredibly hard to have a family. Where are you now with that? I have feral many humans all over the place right now. Um, no, it, <laughs> it is awesome. I, I tell you, uh, my life is embedded in, in Cheerios and unicorns and the word fart all the time. because <laughs> don't, I don't know why that is a thing for kids, but it is. But I have two amazing little girls. One is six. The other one is 14 months now through gestational surrogacy. Our bun, just another oven. And they are amazing. Yeah, you really have a beautiful family. Now, after everything you've gone through, what do you celebrate? I really celebrate perspective. And I know that's a really weird one to say, but I, I fully celebrate the perspective that I now have. Because if it was not for flirting with cancer, if it was not for infertility, if it was not for any of those things, I wouldn't be the woman I am today. I wouldn't be the woman who is trying to lift other women. I wouldn't be the one who is, I wouldn't be a patient parent because I now realize how important and how hard it was to get through all of that and how hard it was to get there. And so now I have such a more robust perspective on life and what should be appreciated. And, and I celebrate that. I, I really thank God. And I really thank the absolute horrible things that have happened in my life. Because without that, I wouldn't be who I am and wouldn't be able to make the change that I am right now. 
You know, the subject of infertility has become much more mainstream, you know, so overall strides have been made, but yes, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done. And you and I have talked privately about how you've been one of those people who are actively working to continue to open doors for other people that are struggling with infertility and how you have stood on the shoulders of the people who preceded you. But, you know, Candice, you now have a happy ending. You've got two gorgeous girls and, you know, you're juggling like a million things. You know, you're chasing after the two kids. You've got a full-time job. So you're very, very busy. Why is it important for you to continue working so hard? You're still putting so much of your own experiences out there. You do a ton of advocacy work. You have your happy ending. You have the family that you guys have fought so hard for. Why was it so important for you to give back? First, you have to start with the fact that not everyone has a happy ending. But whether or not my ending was happy or not, I experienced something that changed my life. And I experienced something that a lot of people go through, 7.3 million actually. I was damned if I was going to put that, wrap it up in a box and put it back on a shelf and forget like it never happened. And, and frankly, I have a lot to say about it. You stand on the shoulders of giants and you change the course of the future for the next you. Absolutely. As you mentioned, I have two little girls now. They may experience some form of reproductive health issues. If we are not changing it, if we're not being that catalyst, then who is for them? Right. The, the person that was before me helped provide access to, you know, the technology of uh, reproduction. There's so many other people who set the ground, but you just have to pick that ball and you have to keep going with it. And it's really interesting as you see so many people who are like, oh, I wish someone would. I wish somebody would do something about this. I love Dr. Seuss and the Lorax. <laughs> they, you know, he mentioned something, you know, only you are going to be the one who is going to make this change. It starts with you. And you can't rely on other people to do that. Overall, with all of the challenges you've gone through, how has it impacted you personally? And how do you lens the world? Each situation that has happened has taught me a different way on how to handle things and, and, and how to cope with really horrible situations. And more so, empathy. It has really, really carved empathy in, in understanding what other people are going through and how to be a better support for them and how to change the lives of people who are going through those situations at the time. You take those emotional bruises and you turn them into something different. And, and you don't forget about them. And that's exactly, I will never forget the, that pain. But I will always remember how people made me feel in the time that I did have the pain and the people who helped. So I want to be that person. That's who I want to be. Because you will always remember how someone made you feel, right? Like when, when, when someone has said something that totally rip you to shreds, you remember that. But you also remember that one hand that came out of the darkness. That's right. I want to live my life being that person. That's so awesome. All right, Candace, sign us off. Let me know who you are and what you represent. 
I am Candace Wall. I'm a writer and blogger with Our Misconception and Women's Health Advocate, and I represent Resolute Hope. Love and thanks to Candace Wall for being here, also for breaking down the stigma of infertility and for sharing her strength and light with everyone. Check out her blog. It's got great information all delivered with a lighter touch. Again, it's called Our Misconception. I'll have that link and Candace's social media handles in the show description. Head on over to the Instagram page at repin underscore podcast, and you'll see some shots of Candace's beautiful family. On the next episode, my guest is Doug Elmitz. He's an Emmy Award winner and a spokesman from the Reagan administration. He was also the lone Republican who stepped up and spoke out at the 2016 DNC. I knew Ronald Reagan. I worked for Ronald Reagan. Donald Trump, you are no Ronald Reagan. That is a conversation you really don't want to miss. Reppin is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms, so subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. You can always find me on Twitter at Reppin Podcast and follow me on Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thanks always to my amazing technical director and musical composer, Nelson Pinero, and always love and thanks to the powerful and patient Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.